Parshas Naso, we have the Sota ritual. A woman is suspected by her husband of infidelity. So there is a remarkable ritual he performs. He brings her, he warns her, and then, and then she, if she secludes herself with a man, he brings her to the, he brings her to the, the Mishkan. It says he brings her to the base of Mikdash, to the Mishkan. He brings a... It says he takes the, they bring a, they, he brings a special carbon, a kind of mincha, and then the, at, the, at the heart of the ritual is the, is the mayim hamarim, the mayim hamarim, special water that's prepared and given to the woman to drink. If she's guilty, then she dies a horrible death, and if she's innocent, then nothing happens. Nixa of Nizra Zara, she merits to have children. The way the water is prepared, Psukim say, is that he takes Mayim Kedoshim Beklicheres, he takes holy water, according to Chazal, according to Chazal, it's Kedoshu Bekir, according to Rashi brings us to free, that it was water from the Kir, and, and, and he, he takes that water, he, he places into the water offer dirt from the Karka Mishkan, from the floor of the courtyard of the Mishkan, and the fl- floor... <coughs> Floor of the Mishkan is from the the Mishkan itself, or the Chatzir of the Mishkan, and then it says that 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 the, the Kohen makes her swear and accept upon herself the curses that Hashem will do terrible things to you if the if you're guilty, and then it says the the Kohen writes down these psukim the, the curses in these psukim on a sefer. And then he races the passage into the bitter water, and that water is then given to the woman to drink. Chazal point out that the name of Hashem appears a couple of times in the curses. Assuming we write the psukim verbatim, as Chazal understand, that includes Hashem's name a couple of times. So Hashem's name appears a couple of times. You erase, the, you erase this, this passage into the water, you're erasing Hashem's name. Normally, that's something we don't do. Mechikas Hashem is strictly prohibited. Erasing Hashem's name is prohibited. Lo sasim kein l'ashem alokecha. L'ashem alokechem. You're supposed to destroy Avodazari. You're not supposed to destroy Hashem's name. Chazal explained in a number of different versions of a, a Midrash, Chazal explained that Akash Baruch Hu here waived the honor that was due to his name for the purpose of restoring harmony between man and wife. In other words, we might have assumed that the primary purpose of the Sota ritual is to punish the guilty. That if she's actually guilty, we want to punish her and make an example out of her to serve as a deterrent to other women. Chazal seems to understand that the primary purpose of the ritual is not to, is not to condemn the guilty, but it's to exonerate the innocent. It's, to, it, it's, it's because as, as long as the husband suspects his wife, if we do nothing, the status quo is he's suspicious. Once suspicion gets in, once jealousy gets in, it's very hard to remove it. We know that from history, from literature, that jealousy is a very uh, difficult problem to undo once done. So the, so the Torah gives us a solution. The Torah says that you have this ritual of the Mehamarim, it'll kill her if, it, if she's guilty, and it'll exonerate her if she's innocent. Chazal understood that the purpose of erasing Hashem's name, what justifies erasing Hashem's name, is not the need to punish the guilty, but it's the need to restore harmony, ben ish ishto that we see that Gadol HaShalom, the Chazal say, that how great is peace, that we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed his great name to be erased for the purpose of, for the purpose of peace. Amr B'Yishmael, Gadol HaShalom, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was viter, 
Al Bektusha, he allowed it to be erased. This is in Masechus Derecheretz, in the Tosefta, the version in the, in the Talmud Bavli, in Masechus Sukkah. So there, the Chazal understood that the reason Hashem overrode the, the prohibition, suspended the prohibition on erasing his name, is for the purpose of, for the purpose of, of uh, restoring peace between Ishle Ishto. And in general, in the, in the share I gave last week, not here because it was Shavuos, but only in the Sunday version of the share, we discussed other, other things Chazal said about Gadol HaShalom, about how great is Shalom that you're allowed to lie, even Akash Baruch Hu lied on occasion, for the, deviated from the truth of the purpose of Shalom. And we, we got into a discussion about, about that, about the, the special dispensation. Because of Shalom, one of the, one of the halachic implications, the Gemara actually doesn't derive the, the permissibility of doesn't derive the permissibility of lying for the sake of peace from the Sota ritual, but it derives it from other, other sources. But the, the same idea that, that peace is such an important thing, Gadol HaShalom, that just as Hashem allowed his name to be erased, so too Chazal derived from other sources that it's even permitted to lie, even though normally Chazam HaShalakash Baruch Emeth, telling the truth, is very important. But for the sake of peace, it is permitted to deviate from the truth. Tonight I want to discuss in a little more detail this, this general idea that even though it's normally very important to tell the truth, there are some cases in which we allow lying. And broadly speaking, the, the cases in which we allow lying fall into two categories. One of them is self-defense. If somebody else is trying to take advantage of you and the only way you can protect yourself is by engaging in deception, that's one, one category of cases where Post can discuss whether it's permitted to lie. The other category of cases is for the sake of certain types of mitzvahs to accomplish certain types of, to accomplish certain types of uh, religious goals, Post can discuss whether lying is permitted. So again, in the, in the Gemara discusses lying. There are two Gemaras that discuss lying. We discussed in the previous share. One is, one is lying for the sake of peace. It gives various examples. Kodesh Baruch Hu misreported that, that, that when Sarah said Avram is old, Hashem said she said she's old. When, when, Sha, when, when, when Shmuel said, how can I go anoint David HaMelech? He didn't know who he was David yet, but how can I go anoint Ben Ishai? That's treason. Shaul will kill me. Hashem said, you have a cover story, you'll have, you'll have a story, Eglas Bakar Tikach, take along uh, an animal, say you bring a calf, you say you're bringing it for a carbon. The, it says that the, another example is the brothers of Yosef, they came to him, after, they came to Yosef after the father died, and they said, your father commanded, Avicha that you should be nice to us, not recorded anywhere the father said such a thing, that was not true, they were able to lie in order to maintain peace. There's also the Gemara in Bav Metziah that talks about there are three things that Talmud Chacham lies about, matters of tzniyus and modesty and so on. But, but, but so, so aside from those limited cases in the Gemara, as we said, we're going to discuss tonight a whole other family or two families of cases where the post can discuss, debate, whether it's permitted to lie. And again, roughly speaking, they fall into two categories. One category is lying for the sake of self-defense, lying to protect yourself from someone who's trying to do something unfair to you. And the other category is lying for the, for the sake of upholding the Torah, for, the, for various mitzvah, various mitzvah consequences. We'll see what the post have said, Gemara and the post have said, Chazal and the post about various sorts of situations along these lines. So when it comes to lying to, in self-defense, so there's a Gemara we discussed several years ago. The Gemara has a, a famous midrash. It says that when Yaakov met Rachel and proposed marriage, he told her, He was her father's brother. He was not her father's brother. 
Rivka was the was Lavan's brother, and they were first cousins. R- Rachel is the daughter of Lavan. Yaakov is the is the son of of Lavan's sister Rivka. So they were actually first cousins. What does it mean? Achiyaviyahu. So Kapshuto, they use the terms Torah use the terms a little bit loosely. It means he was a relative on her father's side, not literally your father's brother. But the Gemara explains that the conversation went as follows. Yaakov proposed marriage. He said, will you marry me, mincivally? She said, yes, in, that yes. And then, uh, however, Abba Ramo, who my father Lavan is a great Ramai, you're not going to win. He, he's going to manage to cheat you, and we're not going to get away with this. When he said, he says, I am your father's brother. I can go toe-to-toe with him in Ramos. I'm a match for him. Amrlei, Rachel was surprised. Umishari Is it Tzadik allowed to engage in Ramos? Yaakov said, yes, he is, I am allowed to. He brought a Pasuk in Sefer Shmuel, David Melech's uh, Shira. David says, Im Navar Titabar, David says about a Baruch Hu, that Hashem acts in a pure way with those who are pure. Vim Ikesh, with someone who is perverse. You'll show yourself subtle. You can engage. You're allowed to engage in Ramos when you're faced with a Ramai. So Yaakov said, "I'm allowed to uh, engage in Ramos when I'm facing your father." Ironically, Yaakov actually lost. It says that the Ramos was that he would substitute Leah, and and, and Rachel warned him Lavan would do that. So Yaakov indeed proposed uh, Simanim that he would give her uh, spycraft, special uh, special special code things uh, to, to to make sure that. Uh, that, uh, that, that, that she was indeed Rachel. Rachel gave the Simonim to Leah out of her compassion for the humiliation Leah would suffer. So ultimately, Lavan won. Presumably, Lavan may have known Rachel would do that. That might, that might have been all part of Lavan's plan. The bottom line is, Lavan did win, but, but Yaakov says he was, he was prepared to, to act for Ramos. Again, what he did wasn't really Ramos. Making, I'm not sure why making Simonim has any element of Ramos. To, but the bottom line is, Yaakov said, I, I, am, I am prepared to engage in Ramos. Because it says, Im Navar Titavar, Vimi Titavar, Vimi Kesh Titapal. This isn't a Gadot to Gemara, but there's actually a, a Mishnah and a discussion in the Gemara indicating that a person is allowed to lie to protect his property from, from seizure by someone who has no right to seize it. Mishnah Nadarim is Tomat Helchus Nadarim, but it says the following din. It says, Nodrin Laharagin, Velaharamin, Velamochsin. If haragin, murderers, are coming to seize your property, your money, or your life, haramin, other types of robbers, mochsen, tax collectors who want to seize your property for tax, you're allowed to lie to them and take a false neder that it's truma. Make a neder assuring them it's truma. Don't take this. It's not my property. This is truma. You don't want truma. Even though it's not true, it's not truma. Change the base of You can say, don't touch this. This is property of the crown. Even though it's not shal base You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to lie to the... You're allowed to lie to the Haragin and the, and the Haramin and the Moksin. Not just lie, you can even take an, a, an, an improper neder. So first of all, the Gemara says, what do you mean, Moksin? Moksin? Din Malchusadina. Shmuel tells us, Din Malchusadina. You're not allowed to cheat on your taxes. You make a neder to cheat on taxes. That, that, that's, that's not a robber. The king has the right to, to collect taxes. His, his duly appointed agent has the right to collect the taxes. The Gemara says, you're right. We're talking about either a mochesh ain't la kitzvah or a mochesh on me'elav. We're talking about a mochesh who's not really operating, who's not operating within the, under, within the color of law. Either a mochesh who's uh, exceeding his authority, she'en la kitzvah, who's not bound by the framework of law, or a mochesh on me'elav, like you still have in some uh, countries with weak governments, 
that the local bandits set up roadblocks in South America in some places. They set up roadblocks on the road. They say, this is our road. You want to cross, you have to pay a toll, pay us taxes. They're not, that, that's a mochis that, He's not authorized by the government. He's authorized by the barrel of a gun. He just gets up there and says, I'm charging you tolls and taxes. That's, that's the equivalent of a robber, as they are. They're cartels or whatever they are down there. So these type of mochis are the equivalent of haragin and haramin. The Gemara asks, how can you take a nether, even if you're allowed to lie and, 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 and chase the mochis away with a lie, but nether, how are you allowed to violate nether? So the Gemara has an elaborate explanation that you, that you revatel the nether, believe, that, 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 that you, you, secretly, uh, you secretly retract or cancel the nether. But the bottom line is, the mission says clearly, you're allowed to lie, whatever you're doing, it's still a lie. You're allowed to lie to the haragin, to the moksin, to the haramin, Various types of robbers, you're allowed to lie in order to stop them from taking away your property because they have no right to do it. So, again, this is an example, presumably, of what the Gemara says in Megillah. There's no obligation to be honest with someone who, uh, who's, trying to, who's trying to do something improper to you. Again, in, in the extreme case, it's obvious, uh, as we'll discuss a little bit later, a, a passage, a discussion by Rabbi Ezra Malamid contemporary Israeli authority. He says, he's discussing a certain case, which we'll get into later, whether it's mutter to lie or not, but he says, he says, for example, everyone agrees in an extreme case you're allowed to lie. He says, you're in Soviet Russia. The KGB knocks on your door. And they say, who are all your friends who are engaged in illegal activities? You, you, you have to say, I cannot tell a lie. It's Yankel and Beryl and Avram and, and Chaim. Of course not, he says. The, they're going to send to Siberia for an extended stay in Siberia. Of course not. Everyone agrees that truth is not an absolute value. There are cases that, uh, where, the, where, where the punishment, even if they're by the authorities, is so unfair and so unjust that it's right and proper to lie. So the mission in Dharm tells us that applies even to robbers that are trying to steal you. A mugger stops you in the street and says, give me your wallet. You let us say, I'm not carrying a wallet. Whether it's a good idea or not you know, to say that, if he, he might just get angry and attack you, that, that's, a cho- that's a judgment you have to make. But in terms of the laws, the ethics of Emmett and Shekhar, the mission is telling us there's no obligation to be honest to a robber, there's no obligation to do that. And, and that's like the, the Gemara Megillah, Im Navar Titabar, Vimikesh Titapal. There's a, as I recall, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Levine, a leading, a prominent, uh, recent authority on, uh, recent writer on. Mishpat, business law, I believe he talks about a case of putting a sign on your property that says, protected by 24-hour security, or, uh, or beware of vicious dog, and there is no vicious dog, or there is no 24-hour security. I think he allows it on the grounds that it's a lie that doesn't infringe on anybody's rights, it doesn't cause anybody any harm or any inconvenience, the only exception is for those people who don't belong on your property, and you have no obligation to be honest with them, so I, I believe he... I believe he allows this type of uh, this type of behavior as well, but this is what the Mishnah says. This is what the Gemara says. You are allowed to lie in defense uh, against robbers. There is, however, a Chuvas Arashba, a beautiful Chuvas Arashba who's actually somewhat strict on this matter. Uh, in, in, in a similar context, the Rashba was asked that there is a din in Bavakama of an Nishdinal and Afshe. A person in certain circumstances is allowed to use force violence even, to protect his rights. A burglar is coming to steal from you, you're allowed to beat him up, to chase him away. Maybe you can kill him, but, but kill him, you can only kill him if there's, if there's a question of uh, your life is in danger. But even if it's just property danger, someone's coming to haul off your sheep in his truck, you're allowed to uh, take a baseball bat and chase him away and say, my property, get lost. You can also go to the basement if you have time and you'd rather do that, but if you, you don't have to, in certain cases at least, the Gemara says, 
Literally, a person can take the law into his own hands, even when it's just a, a civil matter, a matter of someone stealing your property, you're allowed to do that. So they asked the Rashba, he doesn't give the exact details of the case, but someone had a court case in Basin, presumably, and some, for some re- somehow, for some reason, by telling the truth, he would not prevail. He would not be believed. That by, telling the, by, by sticking to the truth, he would lose the case. He, wouldn't be, he didn't have proof, and he wouldn't be believed. If he lies, if he changes details of the case, he would be believed. Sometimes that creates amigo, where you're believed anyway, but he doesn't give the details. For some reason, that, that, that didn't apply in this case. If he tells the truth, the, we're assuming, whatever the case was, if he tells the truth, he loses. If he lies, he prevails. He asked the Rashba, is this included in Avner Shdin If I can hit a person to, to stop him from stealing money from me, maybe I can lie also to stop him from stealing, as we just saw in the mission in Adarm. So the, the question was, Al-Kain Shawalani, Imutur Litun Sheker Lafuke Zuze, am I allowed to make false claims to extract money when I'm really entitled to it? Says the Rashba, no way, no how. Chasle Lazari da Avram, Chas Vashalom for a descendant of Avram, to Lema Shikra. Fila Makam said, even in a case where if he doesn't tell the lie, he's going to lose money, Chas Vashalom to lie, the Chsiv, a famous and beautiful Pasuk in Sefania, Sheiris Yisrael, Layasu Avlov, Loi Dabru Chazav, the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity and they will not speak falsehood. And he brings a riot from a Gemara in Shavuos. The Gemara in Shavuos basically makes this point, makes an even greater point. He says that, that you're not allowed to even tell the truth, but you're not even allowed to, to break the rules in order to win in a Bidin Torah, even if you're technically telling the truth. He gives it, the Gemara gives various examples of such activity that's prohibited under the general umbrella of Midvar Shekhar Tirchak. One of the cases is, let's say three people entrusted property to someone else. And that person is now denying it. He, says, he, de- he denies the whole thing. They say, we gave you uh, $1,000 to watch for us. And he says, never happened. And they can't win. They have no proof. One joint thing. Yeah, three partners. Three, uh, three partners gave a, a single individual some, some property to watch, and he's denying it. So they can't win. They have no proof. So they have a bright idea. They'll go to court. They'll go to Bastin. One of them will present himself as the property owner. The other two will pretend to be disinterested parties, outsiders, and they'll, they'll testify as, as Adam. If they admit to the Basin that they are the principals, that they're the partners, basically they have no credibility because the, the, the litigants themselves, no matter how many they are, don't count as to Adam. But if, if, if they suppress their role as, as principals and they just claim to be Adam, then they can win. They're not lying. When they say we, we, that the, we saw the property entrusted to the defendant, it's true, they did see it. They, they were all there together. They all saw it. They're telling the truth. All they're doing is suppressing some information which would cause the Beistin not to accept their testimony. Halacha is, you can't do that. Midvar Shekhar Tirchak. It's MS. They know it's true. Nevertheless, if they're misrepresenting their, their, their true role in the story, that itself is, uh, is a question of Shekhar. Says the Rashba, he ends with a beautiful uh, and uh, ringing admonition. Elavadai sonui hasheker. Certainly, we see from here, from the, the proof that he brings, that he, the, he says, certainly, hated is falsehood, va'ahov ha'emes, and truth is beloved. Ve'ain tamarasu klipaz, there is no equivalent, valuable kalim, a fine gold. There, there is nothing, nothing that can take the place of truth. The Rashba seems to say, that there's no, uh, there's no answer for this. Even though the Mishnah Dharam says a person can lie, the Rashba says to go into Mastin and make false statements, even if it's in the service of a just cause, is usr.
I saw a contemporary discussion of, uh, of a similar question by, by a Dayan in Eretz Yisrael. His name is Rabbi Yaakov Ben Tzvi, I believe. Uh, let me pull up his, his tshuva. Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Ben Yaakov. So he has a case about a, a worker who, who has a verbal agreement with his boss, with his employer, that he's going to get paid... He's going to get paid 100 shekel an hour. When he submits a bill, when he submits his time and, and asks for payment, the employer says, we agree to 80 shekel an hour. He has no proof. He, he didn't put the agreement in writing. So he can't win. He knows, he's certain that he said 100 shekel an hour, but he can't prove it. However, the employer is relying upon him to, to, get, to account for his time and submit the hours worked. He wants to know, can he pad the hours worked to make up for the 20% that the employer is, is, is improperly withholding from him, engaging in wage theft. Can he inflate the hours uh, as a way of clawing back what he's entitled to? So Rabbi, the Mishpatech Yaakov has a long discussion going back and forth on this question, trying to bring all kinds of proofs from the general Sergei Vavanashin L'Nafsheh and, 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 and some sources specific to the, some sources specific to, to lying. At one point he brings the Rashba and says the Rashba seems to say that it's us, sir. But he says, maybe we can say, the Rashba's talking about, as per the Gemara he brings in Shavuos, the Rashba's talking about in Bastin. In Bastin, to pervert a judicial proceeding by saying falsehoods in a formal context like that, that's Midvar Sheker Terchak. Midvar Sheker Terchak itself is, is written in, in, in Pashat Mishpatim in the context of proceedings in Bastin, and some posts can say that the Iker, the Iker Mitzvah in the Torah is really limited to Bastin. So Rabbi Ben Yaakov says that the... Rabbi Yaakov says that the that the, the perhaps the Rashba the Rashba was so even though he even though he uses such such ringing language Sonei Hasheker of Ames again not always not in the KGB case not in the case of the Mishnah in Darim so maybe the Rashba means that only only in the case of Basin you can't do this but when you're simply submitting a timesheet maybe the prohibition would wouldn't apply he goes back and forth on this question at the end of his lengthy discussion he uh, at the end of his lengthy discussion he concludes. That he he, say, he says we don't have proof that this is we don't have proof that this is uh, that this is Osir, but he said he says he, he says I believe that it's not that it's, it's not that, that it's, it's not strictly Osir, but he is not prepared to be matter this he says he's not uh, based, based on based on the based on the considerations that he based on the considerations that that, that he discusses he's not he, he's not he's not quite prepared I believe he says to be uh, He's not, he's not quite prepared to allow this. But I'll call upon him. The Rashba says it's Osir, but perhaps the Rashba is limited to Bastin. There is a very provocative tshuva in the Sefer Torah Lishma. Sefer Torah Lishma was, 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 was published by Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the author of the Ben Ashkai, the great, uh, great Posek Hadar in Baghdad, Iraq. He said it was, a, it was a manuscript of Torah from a Chacham from an earlier generation, but today it's generally believed that it was his own Torah. I believe his own sons or grandsons said this, that it was really his own Torah. He published it under a pseudonym, I think they say, because he wanted, uh, he wanted a chance at Torah Lashma, Torah that he would get no credit for, that was being attributed to somebody else, but he wouldn't get all the covered and the glory of it. So he published it under the name of some Chacham from an earlier generation. In any event, it, it's generally considered to be his Torah today. 
the tshuvas are very different from his own tshuvas. His own tshuvas, uh, his, his, his more, his, his acknowledged tshuvas are, are the Rav Pa'alim. The Rav Pa'alim are classic Svartic tshuvas. They're long, intricate, uh, erudite, carefully sourced. The, the Tarlishma is very different. The, 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 the tshuvas are shorter and punchier. They, they, they tend to quote fewer sources. The cases are often more interesting, like this one. This one is no exception. The, 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 case, is, the case is a remarkable and provocative case. His discussion doesn't involve much in the way of sources and precedents. But nevertheless, it, it, is, it is presumably the Torah of Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. The case, the case he has was that the, a man died without a will. According to the, the Torah, he, he left over sons and daughters. According to the law of the Torah, we know, of course, that the sons inherit, daughters do not inherit. According to the local law, however, the daughters did get a share of the estate. Now, even though in some areas of halacha we say, like the Martin Adarim we just read, that, that the king has the right to collect taxes, in certain areas we incorporate the law into halacha. In the area of Yerusha in particular, it is nearly unanimous, not totally unanimous, but nearly unanimous. The strong consensus of the postcom is we do not follow the law. That, that if a man dies in testate, the property is allocated according to the Dine Yerusha Shel Torah, not according to the local prevailing law. If a man left a will, that, that's more complicated. Even if the will is not drawn up according to halachic principles, many postcom say, for a variety of reasons, that halacha does still recognize the will as valid. But that's where there is a will. When there's no will and it's just the, the law, of the, the halacha of Yerusha versus the law of inheritance, Almost all posts can agree that we ignore the law and we require, the, and, we, and we insist that the property goes to the, the, the Yarshim Shel Torah, not the Yarshim according to the law. In this case, in the case of the Torah Lishma, the, 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 the girl was not cooperating. She was going to go to court to take whatever she could get uh, based on law. There is actually another sheet to which many, perhaps most posts can say, that even, even if a girl is not entitled to take the property based on the law, she is entitled to say that I'm not going to provide you with any cooperation. You need to take the property unless, unless you settle with me. For example, if it's real estate and he needs to get the title, he needs her to sign away whatever right she has before he can title the property in his name, many posts can say that she cannot be required to do that. And if he, wants, if he needs her signatures, he has to pay her for it. Not all posts can agree, but many posts can say that, and that's the minog apparently. So in a case of real estate or things like that, where, where he needs her legal cooperation, then even though Alpitara, she can't take the Arusha, but she can still demand uh, a price for her cooperation. That, that's okay. But in a case where, it's, where there's no title, it's just, let's say, uh, personal property, where he can just take, it doesn't need her cooperation, she has no right to withhold it based on the court. But this woman was going to do that. She was going to fight it in court. She was going to seize a chalik of the Arusha in court. The proposal was, the proposal was, can they forge a will or forge some kind of gift transfer of the property that the, husband ma- that the father made before he died to present to the court to say, okay, the, the, the son gets all the property because uh, he wrote a will or because he gave it away while he was alive. Can they forge a document to that effect? Says the Yosef Chaim. He says, Vadai Shari. In principle, he says, in principle, it is certainly mutter. And there's no issue of midrash shaker, there's no issue of lying. Why? Because it says you're allowed to be mashana In order to uh, preserve peace, you can you can you can lie. The hadifa. This is even more than peace. Lahakim degla Torah to raise the banner of the Torah. Ain lucha shalom gadol mizeh, upholding the Torah and blocking those who are trying to contravene the Torah. 
That's the greatest peace imaginable, and therefore you can lie, if necessary, to uphold the Torah. Brings another proof from a discussion in Rosh Hashanah about cases where, for, for the purposes of getting the calendar to work out right, they can sometimes get witnesses to testify untruthfully. They, they, the basin could suburn witnesses to lie about what they saw. In general, he says that this is all for a good religious reason, but to uphold the, the honor of the Beistin, to, uh, to uphold the Torah. It is, it, it, Beistin wants to make the Rosh Hashanah a certain day. They need witnesses to support that. So in order to, uh, to people shouldn't be moti laz and mahar achar maisa Beistin, we can do that. So the, we see that for a, for, for a good religious reason, he says we can, we can lie. We don't have to worry about Sheker. However, he says, that's in theory. In practice, he says, you have to be very, very careful before doing such a thing, he says, and uh, you, you, you better have a great deal of Yerushalayim, he says, because you have to anticipate what can happen. They call it the New York Times test or the Washington Post test. How will this look if it's exposed and it's on the front pages of the newspapers? It can create a chil Hashem chas v'shalom, and if, if the courts will ever find out, may ever find out that this has happened, he says, you certainly can't do it. Nothing is as important as avoiding a chil Hashem. So good. So that's the. So in practice, he says you have to be very, very careful before doing such a thing. But in theory, in principle, he says it's absolutely mutter because you're allowed to lie even for the sake of shalom. Certainly, you're allowed to lie to uphold the Torah. How is this different from the? How is this different from the from the case of the Rashbu who says I'm not sure. I'm not sure the I'm not sure the what exactly the difference is, but in any event, this is the ruling of the Torah Lishma. Then, in principle, this is fine. If uh, although in practice, you have to be very very careful before you do this. Right. So 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 possibly if we learn if we learn like Rabbi Ben Yaakov, if we learn that the Rashba's uh, vehement opposition is is due to the fact that the is due to the fact that the that the proceeding was occurring in Baston. In Basin, we have Midrash Shekhar we have a particular urgent, uh, urgent imperative not to lie. But outside Basin, like Nodrin Laharagan, even in court, if it's outside Basin, it's not as bad. The lying is not so problematic. That's certainly possible. So I want to turn now to another case discussed by some later post also about lying for the sake of mitzvah. The Chida has a very interesting tshuva in Yosef Omitz. There was a certain community that had the minhag to auction off kibudim, certain aliyas, psicha, psicha of the Aron Kodesh. Um, the mitzvahs, he says, were psicha sharem, halacha sefer Torah, glila, haftarah. And they had auctions. They auctioned it off with the people who would bid, and the highest bidder would get it. Somebody wanted... Um, he says he says they would do it b'chol chodesh every month. He says people would buy it. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess so. I'm not really sure. He mentioned different reasons. Schoolos people would buy certain things, but the yard sites, other schoolos. He mentions the he mentions the what I would call the infamous schoolos of getting psicha. For a chassan before his wedding, or for for a woman before childbirth, I always found that a uh, very disturbing image. That we're that we're by doing that we're kind of making uh, using the Aron Kodesh as a symbol for the private parts of a woman. But the all right, but the that's the that, that was a schoola. 
So the people, people, they used to auction, whatever the reasons were, they used to auction off these kibudim. And there was a fellow who wanted to help the, the community make money. So he basically acted as a shill bidder. He had an agreement with the, the gabai of the shul that he would bid primarily for the purpose of driving up the, 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 driving up the final price of the kibudim. And he had an agreement with the gabai that if he was left holding the bag, then not that he would withdraw his bid, but that he would only pay 50% of the amount that he bid. He would pay, he made a tanai with the gizbar of the kila, that if he, if he would be left holding the bag, that he would pay chatsi, whatever, half of what he promised. Some people found out what he was doing, there was a machlokis about it, uh, other people were very aggravated at his behavior, that he was, that he was uh, extorting more money from them. So they asked the chida, is this appropriate conduct or not? He does says absolutely not. Tanan and Perkyavas, I think. Rebbe Omer, Ezu Dereki Sharash Yavaloha Adam, how shall a man live? It has to the way he acts should be Teferis Lo Sev, Teferis Lamat Adam. People have to if people think what you're doing is uh, is is scarless and fraudulent, that's a problem. He says, and there are several reasons why Steinvall, several reasons why what he's doing is improper. He brings the Pasik in Svanya. He says, The end of the puzzle, You can't have avla, you can't do avla, you can't be chazav, you can't do tarmis, fraud. All three he's guilty of, he says. He says, avla, it's not fair to the people buying the mitzvah. You're, you're driving up the prices, you don't even want it, you're just, you're just making trouble for them. He says that... So I don't know, at one point people found out about it because it says it caused machlokas in the community. Um, so at one point, apparently, right. So yeah, I don't know if this would work if it was publicly known. You know, for the same price, the guy could just say we're starting the bidding higher. You know, if, you, if you don't, uh, we're starting at two hundred instead of starting at seventy-two. So yeah, so I don't know. I, apparently, it sounds like it originally wasn't known. People found out, and it caused arguments. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how how it developed. But he says, first of all, by by by. Uh, by causing trouble for the people who genuinely want the skula, by either causing them not to be able to afford it or by making them pay more, it's not fair to them. Second, he says it's cause of to lie and pretend that you genuinely want it when you don't, you're just a shill. That's, uh, that's lying, he says, and tarmis, fraud, because you're promising to pay and you're not going to pay. All these are a little bit debatable. I mean, tarmis, you promised the, the gizbar, but you have an understanding with the gizbar, so you're, you know, well, what's the problem? Because of you saying you want the mitzvah and you don't, I mean, it's a bid. You're, you're bidding. I mean, it's a, I, so I, I don't fully understand his objection, but he says it's not fair to anyone. It's lying and it's deception, and it's... You know, so, right, so that, that, that's the key question I wanted to discuss, whether, whether, this, is, whether this constitutes Gnevis Das vis-a-vis the Tzibur. Yes, yeah, so we'll discuss that more in a moment. He says, furthermore, besides all this, that, that it's, it's, all, it's all kind, yeah, he, says it, he says it's Gnevis Das and Sheker, that uh, he's implying he's actually going to take it for a fair price, and really he's, he really he's not taking it. Ultimately, yes, that's what he says, it's a for Gnevis Das and Sheker, and he, and he puts this into three categories. It's not fair to the other bidders who are, who he, he's, he's putting it out of their reach or taking it away from them. It's not fair. He's, he's engaging in lying and deception. He gave a stats. He's not actually going to pay what he's promising to pay. For all these reasons, he says, which I don't, again, I don't fully understand his logic, but he says that this is a form of Gnevis Das. I, I always had trouble with these, uh, like with these things, uh, whether it's really Gnevis Das to the, to the other bidders. Same thing with shill bidders. Shill bidders are perceived as a problem. 
if people behave rationally, when I, when I go on eBay, when I go on an auction site, if I'm behaving logically, I should decide in advance how much is it worth to me and pay that much. I mean, if, uh, what's the problem with a shill bidder? So the, the seller for the same price could have started the auction at that price if he wanted to. If I'm willing to pay, I'm willing to pay. If I'm not willing to pay, I'm not willing to pay. It's, it's, it, intuitively, we, we can debate. Whether, you know, logically, we can debate whether there's any real harm. Be, uh, the seller who has the power to simply start the bidding at 100, instead he starts it at 20 and has shills bid it up until it hits at least 100. So the logic presumably is that if he started at 100, bidders wouldn't be interested. If he started at 20, he gets you emotionally involved. Psychology, right. It's, it's, Right so, 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 right, so so the question is, the people who are behaving purely logically, this wouldn't work. It's because people don't behave logically that, they, that he gets them addicted and caught up in the bidding process, and the, and the, he gets caught up in the bidding. Right, so, so apparently, so the chidah the fails, that's Gnevis Das. This kind of psychological manipulation constitutes, uh, constitutes Gnevis Das. Again, the, the question is, is Gnevis Das only because he's not paying the full value? What if he would pay the whole value? He's hoping, he's hoping not to win. He's hoping just to get you to pay. But he's prepared to pay the full value if he, if, if, if he doesn't really want the mitzvah. He doesn't need the skula. He, doesn't, he hopes he doesn't win. He, hope, he hopes to just cause you to pay more. But he's willing to pay the full price if he's caught. Is that still a problem or not? I'm not sure. But anyway, the, at least in this case, the Chida feels that it's a, it's a violation of Sheker and Chazav and Avla. Furthermore, a totally separate concern, and this is very interesting as well, even though it's not our primary topic tonight. Furthermore, he says, this is considered undue pressure by the Tzibur. Even for tzedakah, there are rules. Not, not, not all is fair in collecting tzedakah. He says, he brings the Gemara in Baba Basra. It says, Hashem will punish those who oppress my people. Kipshuta, you think lochetzav means the enemy or the you know, banks who evict people from their homes. But the Gemara says, Elu Gabai Tzedaka. We're talking about uh, Tzedaka collectors who go too far. The Gemara is talking about Tzedaka collectors who seize property against, against people's will for Tzedaka. Any men is included, though, he says. Kol Lachatzav. Anybody, any Gabai Tzedaka who acts improperly. This guy who's prepared, who wants, the, the, who wants this for a kibud for someone, or for, uh, and he feels social pressure to, he feels social pressure to, to do it, he says. He says uh, he's being pressured to do it, and for now covered because of uh, to, it would be beneath his dignity to back out. Now he feels obligated to do it, even if he can't really afford the higher price. That's all considered undue pressure, he says. And uh, even if it's for tzedakah, it's certainly here, where it's just for the community, for the shul. He says that even though there is a mitzvah, he says, but it's not it's not as important as tzedakah for aniim. So anything though the gabbai presses him to give more money than he genuinely wants to give, that is a problem. Furthermore, it causes Eva, it causes Machlokas, he says, and Chazal always made takanas for Darche Shalom and Eva. We see that in practice this causes arguments, he says, and quarrels, so Asr. Anyway, this is what the Chida says. It's Asr for a variety of reasons. First, because it's a form of Sheker and Chazav and Gnevis Das and Sheker and, uh, and Avla. Second, because it's, it's undue coercion, it's coercive in this, for, for Tzedakah. And third, because it causes Machlokas. Asr for all these reasons. The Rukhaim Kanievsky they bring. Rukhaim Kanievsky says that the says that the they asked him about doing making this deal with the Gizmar. Rukhaim said it's Usr, it's Ramos, he can't do that. And what about the Lachats? Uh, he says he says what, what what's the what's the what's the definition of Lachat? The Khidas says it's Usr because you're forcing people to give to Dhaka. What's the definition of, of lachatz? When do you cross the line from cajoling and try and persuasion to lachatz? Or Chaim is reported to have said, "Efshar levakesh pamachat." One time you can ask, 
Bakasha zelo lachatz. A simple request is not pressure. Raklola haftir. You can't push. You can't beg. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can ask him. He says no. You walk away. He says one time you can ask. Again, I don't, I don't know what the exact words of Chaim Kanievsky used, but the this is uh, this is this is what Chaim Kanievsky said. Vitrich Silberstein has a case. Uh, one of his farm, a similar case. In, in his case, a, a drop different. A, a tourist walked into a shul, and he had a yard site. So he, uh, the guy I saw, he really wanted to buy, really wanted to buy maftir. So the guy himself acted as a shill. Anytime the, the tourist, uh, the tourist made a bid, the guy himself would uh, would put up a fake bid. And this went on until the price was driven up to four thousand shekel. The guy hit four thousand. The tourist realized he was being manipulated, so he decided to drop out. And he, and he politely told the Gabbai, I guess you have yard set as well. You know, I don't want someone else's yard set as well. I'm, I'm not going to take it away from you if you have the yard set as well. They wanted to know, can they, does, he, does the Gabbai actually have to honor his bid? Is it his shill bid? Does he actually have to honor the bid? So he brings the chidah. He says, he says, he doesn't have to pay because he never meant to pay. You know, he never really meant to obligate himself to pay. The question is, can the, can the mark, can the tourist be forced to pay his last bid before the guy buys 4,000 4, shekel? Is he bound by his highest bid? Rebchaim Kanievsky said he's potter as well, because similar to what we were saying before, because this practice of shill bidding is considered toes and gnevas das, and he said, had he known that this was phony, he never would have bid that high, even though, again, you could say logically, if he's willing to pay 4,000, then if the guy would have just told him we're starting the bidding at 4,000 today, he would have done it, but in practice, it's not like that. In practice, he only bid because he thought he was competing against a genuine bidder. Had he realized he was being manipulated, he never would have done it. Says Rechaim Kanievsky that the whole thing is betos, and the, the tourist can say, I am not honoring my bids. All, all the late, on the first bid, maybe, yes, but all the later bids that I was bidding against uh, an imaginary bidder, I don't plan to honor it. And uh, then he brings the chidah and so on. Fine. Another related case, not quite the same case, but another related case involving deception for the sake of tzedakah is, uh, is, is, is discussed by several other recent poskim, including the Milchatz Yitzchak and Moshe Sternbach. They talk about a case, not of an auction, not of an auction where the where there are bids going on, but just an appeal where people call out donations. So the again, mass psychology is that people are more likely to give higher amounts if herd mentality. If other people are giving higher amounts, so to get things rolling, they want to call out fake high bids in order to get people encourage people to make similar high bids. Just no, I'm sorry, not, not, not bids, uh, pledges. They want to call out high pledges for the purpose of getting the real people, they want to call out fake ones in order to encourage real ones to be made. Minchaz Yitzchak discusses this question. They asked him, can you do this? Minchaz Yitzchak says no. He brings uh, a couple of rayas. One of them is from Arsha. The, 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 the Gemara in Circus says that uh, it lists certain averis that people do and the punishments you get that, that, that occur because of them. The Gemara says, people who are poskim tzedakah barabim v'enam nosnim, people who pledge money publicly and don't follow through, don't honor their pledges, they get punished. So kipshuto just means they just don't honor their pledges. They, they just break their word. The Marsha says, we're talking about people who don't honor the pledges because they say they were only doing it to encourage others. They never meant to pledge. Afal became, they get punished. Says in Yitzchak, that means you're not allowed to do this. 
the Rabbi Yisrael Yakra Fisher of Yerushalayim says that that's not what the Marsha means. He says what the Marsha means is that it's not true. They, they say that, but it's not true. They, they were really saying it to get credit, not because they were doing it L'shem Shemayim to encourage it. They, they were doing it just because they wanted the credit of making a large pledge and not honor it. That's not right. But that's why they're punished. But if they honestly did it L'shem Shemayim for the... They honestly did it, did it for that reason. It's not, that's not just their official story afterward. If that was honestly the reason, maybe that's okay. But Menchaz says... Is there a reason to drive out this to begin more as opposed to get honor for... Right. He, he, he wants to say, not, not like the Melchizedek, yes, that to get on us to get more, that's mutter for some reason. That's mutter. And the, re- and the reason they're punished is because that's not the real reason. The real reason is they did it so they can get credit. So they, they can falsely get credit for, for, for pledging money they're not going to give. That, that's a problem. Melchizedek brings another raya. Melchizedek brings another raya from a, a story of, a story of uh, I think it was Rishim and Shetach and, uh, and, and, one of, and the king. That they that, that, that they both pledged uh, to to cover the cost to cover the cost of certain nazirim. I'll take half, and you take half. Shimon Shetach then he, he he didn't give anything. He just was matur and, and thereby eliminated the, the chiyuvim of half the nazirim. The king was angry at him. Mechazietzchok says, see, see, you see that because he manipulated the king into into paying the cash, that the he says he can't do that. He says he, he says he can't do that, and, and you, you see from that story as well. That Rishim and Shetach held it was mutter because he says, when I said I would cover it, I meant I would cover it uh, through my Chachmas through by absolving them of their Chiyah. But the implication is, had he just said, oh, I said it just to get you to do it, I wasn't planning on doing it, that would be a problem. He had, he had a legitimate hetter that he was going to solve it his own, his own method. But uh, had he did, if he said, I did it just to encourage you, that would be a problem. And therefore, and therefore he says, it's Osir, and such a thing is Osir, you're not allowed to make, announce false bids. That's considered deceptive, and uh, again, similar to, similar to the Chidah. I'm sorry, not bids, pledges. But just like the Chidah said that you can't do this with pledges, you can't do it with bids, the Mechaz Yitzchak says you can't do it with pledges either. That's also a, f- a problem of deception, and, and it's awesome. Moshe Sternbach and Chuvis Van Hago says the same thing. He was asked exactly the same question, that, that they want to uh, have, have a, a Gver say he's going to give $10,000 just to encourage others to give. He says, he says, in terms of nadir, he doesn't have to worry. He never, he, never meant to, like, he, never, he never meant to make that pledge, so he's not bound by the nadir. But it is a problem, he says, of Gnevis Das. Oh, no, it's Mirma, he says. And he shouldn't do this. And he says, uh, good. A similar thing he says is in, in, in outside Tadaka. He says a seller is trying to sell his property. So the buyer makes a bid. So the seller says, for that price, I have other buyers. I'm not giving it to you for that price. And really, he has no other buyers. He's just trying to induce the, the buyer to go up. So, Oster, Gnevis Das, that's Oster. There's actually a Taz who says in Choshen Mishpat, the Taz is not discussing whether it's Oster or Mutter. The Taz is discussing whether false claims like that would actually be grounds for Mechachtos. If it turns out that the Mocher lied about such things, would that be grounds for Mechachtos? The Taz says, no, it's not. He says, Maisim Bechal Yom, sellers do that, that they make false claims about what other offers they had or the going price. It turns out they lied, and uh, the, no one ever heard of such a thing that the buyer can, can, rev, can, can undo the sale because of that. The Taz says it was commonly done. He doesn't say it's Usser or Mutter. Moshe Sternbrook says it's Pasha that it's Usser. It's a form of Gneves Das that is Usser. And don't forget, he says, the first question they ask you in the Olam HaEmes is Nasas of Nasata Bemun. So, but although in this case, at least, Rav Michas Yitzchak and Rav Sternbach both say this is Usser, in the Sefer Titan Emes Liakov, he, he brings these akronim, but then he says that he heard 
from Rav Rafal, the son of the Briskarov, that his father, the Briskarov, said it's not a problem at all, that it's no issue in doing this. I didn't explain why or what the logic is, but no problem. And in the Hakdamatiz Sefer, he has Horus from Rishol Yakrav Fisher, as you mentioned earlier, who says, I'm not convinced that it's Usser. He says, Marshal is not a Raya, but he also thinks that it might be Mutter. It might be Mutter, he says, that the. He says, we find it. In other cases, we, we do find a Heter that you're allowed to lie for the sake of tzedakah. You, you're allowed to say, we're out of funds, even if you still have some money left, if you need to do it to induce people to be more generous in giving. We do find certain cases a Heter to lie for the sake of mitzvah. Why is this worse? So, okay, so Yisrael Yaakov Fisher is not convinced that this is actually, actually Usher, inclined to think that it's Mutter, but this is Machlaukas again, and the Chida, at least in the case of the bidding, the bidding, the Chida says it's Usher, and, and I don't know if any, I'm not sure if anyone is Lahed Yecholik on the Chida. So again, there are some poskim who will allow, allow some type of lying for a mitzvah, but when it actually involves defrauding and manipulating people and uh, psychological manipulation, poskim are... Postkim are not happy with this. Postkim say that that, that that this presents a problem of uh, that this presents a problem of um, of, of sheker and mirma and ona and nevis das. One final case we'll discuss. This is not really a question of mitzvah, not seriously a question of mitzvah, but cheating on tests, cheating on exams. So there were occasionally bnei yeshiva who apparently uh, argued they should be able to cheat on exams because because it saves them time where they can learn Torah, it's bittel Torah to actually study for the tests. So there are a number of poskim who are on record as discussing cheating on exams, and they all unanimously forbid cheating on exams, at the very least as a form of Gnevis Das, and Gne- form of Gnevis Das and lying. Some say it could even be Gnevis Mammon if you obtain a job under false, pre- under, you know, under, based on your cheating, your, your credentials acquired via cheating, you're actually engaged in Gnevis Mammon, an actual Gnevis, but at the very least, a number of poskim, or Moshe Feinstein, Negris Moshe, Rashmul Vosner and Shevet Alevi, even Rabbanasha Klein, who is uh, who, 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 who is uh, notoriously you know kind of anti-American, anti-Western posik, who even begins his tshuva by saying, "I'm a little nervous, I'm a little reluctant to engage with this question." He says because if I discuss cheating in college, that might imply that I'm actually endorsing going to college in the first place. He says, which is uh, which is not at all the case. He says, but but in any event, he says the. He says that the that but they all say that cheating on exams, Rabbanian Mutsafi, a leading contemporary Sfardic postic, all say that this is Pashut Gnevis Das, that this is uh, my mother says when when when, when she, that, that she had occasionally dated people when she was a girl, B'nai Torah, who were justifying cheating by saying, Well, it's Bittal Torah to study. My mother was uh, very turned off by this. Indeed, Ramanasha Klein also he mentions that some people say that she mutter because of Bittal Torah. Ramanasha Klein completely ignores that and just says it's a straightforward case at the very least of Gnevis Das, if not Gnevis Mammon itself. It might even be Gnevis Mammon in the case of the jobs, like Ramosha says as well. But certainly, this is a question of Gnevis Das, and some kind of Cheshbon of Bittal Torah is not grounds, is not grounds for being matir, being matir, cheating on tests. Just discuss one final case. Rabbi Malamed a leading uh, moderate Datilu Miposek in Eretz Yisrael, he has a discussion, a very interesting discussion. Uh, there was a fellow who was arrested during the protests over the Gaza disengagement. He was arrested for blocking traffic, for breaking the law in his protest. His lawyer told him... Where did it happen, the protest? Um... This was related to Gush Katif. I don't, I don't know where the protest actually occurred. He says he was he was he was being he was on trial for the crime of chasimatatnua, obstructing traffic, be'echad mikvishe haaretz, in one of Eretz Yisrael's roads, 
Be'es note Neged HaGerush, during the demonstrations against the expulsion. So he says he's advised by his lawyer unequivocally to lie, to deny the charges. His lawyer tells him they can't prove it, and if you don't admit it, you'll, 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 you won't be convicted. The problem is, lying, lying is very serious. He says, that's true, I, I did block traffic, I, I did it, I cannot tell a lie. So I don't know how the Israeli legal system works. In America, that's not how it works. You don't have to lie at all. You don't have to testify in the first place if you're on trial. They have to prove it. Right, self-incrimination. You, you can't be forced to do it. Prosecution doesn't, nobody has to put you on the stand. You don't have to testify. Self-incrimination, right. Prosecution has to prove it. You don't have to say anything. So I'm not sure if the Israeli system is different or if there was some misunderstanding here, but the, when you plead not guilty, I, I don't, I, I, again, I'm not sure if, if the language of pleading not guilty is, uh, means that you're actually... Uh, I don't think pleading not guilty means that you are affirmatively asserting you didn't do it. I think pleading not guilty means you don't admit that you're guilty. You're, you're allowed to decide in the trial what your defense is exactly. But uh, anyway, I'm not sure. But for some reason, the, 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 the way it was presented to Rabbi Malamid was the person had to... Lo- the, the lawyer urged him to, to lie and say he didn't do it. He told the lawyer... I don't feel comfortable lying. The lawyer did not understand Bakhlal etap bayasha li in quotes. He got angry at me. He says, Everyone does this. Everyone listens to their lawyers. Why, why, why are you giving me tsaras? He says, We're going to lose the case if you don't listen to my, uh, I'm your legal counsel. This is what you have to do. Everyone listens to their lawyers. Listen to me. Stop making trouble. I, I consulted other lawyers, he says, and they all said that your lawyer is right. Every, every good lawyer would recommend this to his client. Again, I don't think this is true in the American legal system. A lawyer is not, a lawyer is not allowed to. Uh, to encourage his client to knowingly lie. A good lawyer will say, I don't want to know the truth about your case because I don't want to put you on the stand to lie. But it's unethical, if not illegal, I think, for him to actually encourage him to say something that he knows is not true. A good lawyer will say right away, if the, if the, if the client starts telling him, I did it, I don't want to know about it. I, I have more flexibility in what I can do if I don't know that you did it. I don't want to know. Keep it to yourself. I'm not interested in whether you did it or not. I just want to know the best case we can make for you based on the proof that we have. Don't tell me that you did it. But I don't think a lawyer is allowed to explicitly encourage his uh, client to lie. But apparently the lawyers in Israel did that. All the lawyers said, every good lawyer would do this. He'd recommend that you lie. So they asked Rabbi Malamed, what should I do? So Rabbi Malamed goes back and forth. He has a very hard time with this. He says, I've been asked these questions many times, and I uh, struggled at length to decide what to do, he says. Certainly in court, he says. Even secular court, apparently in court. The mishpat is very important. Emes is very important. On the other hand, he says, if you tell the truth, you're going to be convicted. It's not really fair. Innocent people are being punished for things that are not really that serious. And the, the Risharim are going to win, he says. There are cases you're allowed to lie, like, as we've been discussing. He gives, he gives the various examples we've been discussing. But in Bastin, Bastin's worse, he says... And not patient, right? But he says, uh, he says. But the general rule is that the mutual shalom is usually when there's no consequences, when there's no, when, when it's a white lie that there are no wrong consequences. But in court, in the based, and he says, or apparently even in regular court, there, there's uh, it's harmful to society to have to have uh, dishonest proceedings in court. So he's not sure. He goes back and forth. He says, Lamaisa, I delayed my answer a number of months. I couldn't bring myself to be matter, he says, but, uh, but, but Asring also didn't, didn't, didn't seem just, he says. So I, I hoped that, uh, I, so I assumed that, uh, that they just did what the lawyers told them and that was the end of the story. I found out, no, I found out that they were actually, uh, I found out, he says, that, the, that, that those who committed crimes against the disengagement 
were punished in an extraordinarily discriminatory way, a disgraceful and unfair way, he says. And therefore, at this point, uh, because he was, he knew all along, apparently, the system wasn't fair, but apparently he, when he saw how unfair it was, at this point, he, 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 he threw in the towel, and, and, he, and he said now he would recommend that they follow the lawyers and lie. He says, As people say, when in Rome, do like the Romans. When in Rome, act like a Roman. If that, if, if, in court, do whatever the rules of court are. If that's what the lawyers tell you, that's how the game is played in court, those are the rules over there. He says, if it was really, uh, if, if it was really justice in the court, he says, even if many people lie, I would tell you, you have to be honest, he says, but we find that uh, other, 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 crimin- other people who did similar acts of civil disobedience were, uh, even those who threw rocks at cars, were, were, got off very lightly if, if, they were, if the courts were sympathetic to them, but those who were, uh, committed crimes that the, the court system was, it was not in, the, the, not in their, their politically favored camp, they got the book thrown at them, he says. This is not mishpat, this is just uh, perversion of justice, he says. And you don't have to be tell the truth. He gives the mushal of the KGB, he says, like Yaakov and Rachel, about, like, like Yaakov with the brachas, he was able to lie, he says. And, and the story of Rachel and Yaakov, but Im Navarchi Tabarmi Keshitapal. He says, Salamaisi says, if, if the system is, is perverse and corrupt and it's not fair to begin with, at some point, he says, it's like the KGB and you're allowed to lie to, uh, to protect yourself. You should still try to limit the amount of shakir that you say. But Salamaisi says, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, as we've seen, there are sources that allow lying. It's certainly outside based in or outside court, maybe even in court or based in, maybe the difference between a secular court and a based in. There are definitely sources that allow lying to uphold the Torah or when you're being treated unjustly, Mishnah and Dharam. There are other sources, though, that emphasize Sani HaShakir, Vav HaMS, Vain Klipaz, are exactly when the postkim are willing to condone lying or for the sake of mitzvah and so on, when the postkim are, when the postkim are not. We, we have all kinds of distinctions. It's not entirely a settled matter, but uh, the bottom line is a person should certainly remember, wherever possible, the, the beautiful words of the Rashba, Sonri HaShaker, Ve'ahov HaEmes, Ve'ain Tuoroso Klipas.